Welcome to the Middletown Podcast. I'm Kat Hughes, I'm a research officer at Middletown and I'm also autistic. In this episode, I talked to Dr. Carly Jones, MBE. Carly was a huge hit at our Middletown conference. She was talking about well-being and safeguarding. She also has a book focused on safeguarding autistic women and girls. I wanted to ask her about safeguarding as well as her own experiences. As is often the case when you put two autistic people together, our conversation heads off on some tangents, but there's nothing wrong with that. I started by congratulating her on her doctorate that she received for her amazing advocacy work and the work that she does shaping public perception and policy. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Carly, Dr. Carly, MBE. Thank you. Congratulations on your doctorate. Thank you so much. It's, um, yes, quite surreal for somebody that left school without any GCSEs, Kat. So thank you very much. It still doesn't quite feel right or real but um, but I'm very very grateful and hope I can do some good with it. Absolutely, very well deserved. Uh, You're at the Middletown Conference to talk about uh, women and girls and well-being and being well. So what did you talk about? Well um, safeguarding being my interest as well as autism it kind of felt wonderful to be able to talk about both things at once. Um, So I was speaking actually what could have been the world's most depressing subject matter of um, safeguarding autistic girls um, abuse and that kind of timeline, that trajectory of life from early years, primary school years, secondary school years to adulthood without um, diagnosis or slash self-identity support because we know to get a diagnosis is an absolute nightmare. For, for most young people, let alone if you're an autistic girl. So, um, and, and over kind of the last 15 years with the autistic people I've supported, um, seeing that unfortunate flow, timeless flowchart pattern of vulnerabilities from day dots until that kind of diagnosis. I'm not saying a diagnosis is going to make you completely safe but just understanding our our own vulnerabilities and those that love and truly care for us, understanding our our vulnerabilities and being able to perhaps spot when things aren't going right can just, it puts a pin in the map where we can have a much healthier um, being well trajectory and kind of raising the importance of that. I tried to lighten up with jokes which is really inappropriate when you're talking about <laughs> safeguarding, but it was the same with, with my book, Safeguarding Autistic Girls. I, I did say to Jessica Kingsley Publishing, I'm happy to write this, but can I make it funny? Um, and they were like, well, just send us a draft and, and think, we'll have a look. And luckily, they're like, no, you, you pulled it off. You made it funny <laughs> in places where it could be funny and, and kept it serious where, where it really needed to be. So hopefully I haven't offended too many people. Apologies if I have. <laughs> But I think it's really important though, because as you say, it's such a a difficult topic, but also it's a topic that I think so many of us relate to. So I think it's kind of natural to have a bit of, or try and bring a bit of lightness into it, because so many of us have experienced so many of those things, so we have to bring that lightness into it, don't we? It's it's a really tricky one, because there's that kind of, well, we know the statistics, the statistics are saying... um, you know, 90, 91% of autistic uh, women um, will come some form of abuse, um, which is a horrifying statistic. Um, so there's there's two thoughts that when you know you're going into a room where, let's face it, most people are going to be autistic um, and the room holds 100 people, you know, actually, well, there's only going to be nine people in this room that haven't been affected by that. So what do I do? Do we not talk about it so we don't upset people? 
or do we talk about it and hope it gives them validation, a sense that they're not alone, that solidarity and, and thank goodness when, when I came out a, a few um, women came to me and disclosed, you know, they were also in that 90% bracket unfortunately and, um, and actually they, they came out feeling lighter because they were like, it's not just me and there's all these other women around me who, who this has also happened to. So that's that's the, the aim, but it is, it is difficult to to talk about, not only personally, but professionally as well, because you, you don't want to do more harm than, than, than good. Um, and it must be quite hard as well to have that, those stories brought to you, even though mm-hmm. like it's, it's so precious that people feel comfortable to do that and that they feel seen, but it's quite a weight for you to take them. Yes, yes, I, um, I do like to go home and watch a comedy yes. after doing a, a safeguarding talk. Um, or, or you know, go home and see my girls and have a big hug. That, that's always helpful. Um, but it, it's an absolute uh, privilege and honour if somebody does does disclose yeah. um, and and maybe you know signposting to this is. I think just as autistic women, we like to fix things and we like to make everything better. And I think that's the difficult part to to uh, think well I, I can't make this better for someone I can't fix it but I do know all the appropriate um, helplines and, and, and people that that I can signpost to should they need that and actually all I can do if they like hugs like me not everyone does I always ask first please may I hug you because I really want to give you a hug right now it's give them a hug and let them know they're not alone and yeah. um, and maybe a few strategies but apart from that like signposting but yeah. it is it, it's a wonderful, sad feeling. Does that make sense? So it's kind of sweet and sour. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And but where you you have made a huge impact, I think, is is through your book because there are practical sort of steps that people can take. And and would there be any sort of pieces of advice that you'd give to either whether it's parents or educators who are working with young people and, and sort of aware that they may have vulnerabilities? I think um, if there was only one strategy, which I Think would be most helpful it's very simple and cost effective just to ask someone at the end of every day particularly if they've been out of your sight so say that's a parent who um, their child's gone to a residential trip or scouts guides sleepovers um, it might be co-parenting all of these sort of things um, just say what was the best thing and the worst thing that happened to you today um, rather than ask how was school you know so let's say you've got a, a young girl who's really good at science goes off uh, to school, gets a gold star for their science, is mugged for their trainers on the way home. Dad says, how was school today? School was great, got an A star from the science, look at this shiny gold badge. Um, goes upstairs, doesn't mention the fact they've got no trainers for PE the next day because they were mugged because they didn't ask what happened on the, you know, and I'm, I take things very literally like that as well. And I'm like, oh, you didn't think to mention that because you only asked about this element of the day, not about the whole element of the day. Um, so yeah, the best thing and the worst thing and, and actually just do that every day. Um, I've got, um, it is a book because it's uh, got papers and it's got a cover <laughs> and it's from publishers, but it's more of a um, fill in yourself type book coming out, I think it's in September, called the My Autism Journal. And uh, so from these strategies, I thought, oh, well, that might be helpful. There's a workbook for that, for the, for the young person to fill in themselves. So it asked about the best thing and the worst thing. and. If today had a theme tune, what would it be? Because I tend to communicate by sending people songs. That's really good. Can't say I love you, but I can send you a bit of Whitney Houston, you know. 
Can't actually say it to your face too much, <laughs> but um, I, I thought about your favourite film, so I sent you a clip to your favourite film. You know, that's kind of my love language. Mm. So, um, yeah, today was a theme tune. What would it be? Um, uh, you know, thinking about um, favourite foods of the day, which can help many of us struggle with our eating, be that through um, a control, wanting control of food, or because we might not feel hungry, it can help mm. us keep track of, actually, did I eat enough today? <laughs> um, I certainly don't really feel hunger. Um, advantageous when you've got holiday books, but not when you realise you've gone X amount of days, you know, and thinking, oh gosh, I feel a bit faint. Oh yeah, it might actually help if I have some food. Um, those sort of things. Um, but yeah, so and, and that journal can then be used either privately. It's up to the young person, it's their book. Um, and by young person, um, although I have just turned 41, I will be using the book myself because I'm terrible at knowing if I've drunk water or, or eaten or how I feel. So yeah. Yeah. I, I literally keep a journal that every day I fill in and it has wow. what I ate, it has you know what I did in the day, how I was feeling, and like I keep all those things. So to actually have a formal one would be amazing. I'll send you because, a free one. Yeah. <laughs> we should have called it Cat's Journal. Now I feel like I've unknowingly <laughs> taken your strategies and, and capitalised on it. I'm no, the no, worst no. advocate. No. No. no, but it is. It's so helpful because I'm the same. Like, I tend not to know. Like, I'll know when I'm incredibly hungry yeah. and feel awful, but I'll feel awful for a while and not realize why. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, that'd be the lack of food today yeah. or the lack of water today. So, to be able to like log all that stuff. But then also, same with feelings. Like, I can know that I feel good or bad, mm-hmm. but it takes some investigating to figure out specifically what the good or bad is or, or yeah i should be feeling good or bad and that emotional processing delay as i was saying the talk that I, I i can kind of i can feel it so if i got some dreadful news i can feel it but it's almost as if i can't process it and then display it for about a year yeah so my daughter's being born and then, you know, on their first birthday i did that newborn happy cry <laughs> um, but actually at the time I was like well there's things to do I should probably uh, sort this out or sort that out you know it's just really logistical about it um, I should probably have a cup of tea now I guess I don't know you know whereas just back to business you know but they must have thought gosh handy in a way yeah when you've got a new yeah. morning you're just being like right let's get things done there is no time for tears there are nappies to change exactly no time for feelings in this life changing moment and then a, <laughs> yeah. a year later. And then a year later. But yeah, I just, I think we've got it right, actually. This, I think we've got it sorted. So. It's the world that's, uh, that's getting it wrong, I think, yeah. <laughs> and actually, that's, that's something. Like, like you, you spend a lot of your time working on how to support autistic girls and women. And that can be quite negative, I suppose, because mm. you're thinking about where the vulnerabilities might be. But there's mm. so much joy within that, too. And is there something... Like are things that you really focus on in terms of sort of autistic women and what we bring to the table? Oh gosh, you bring so much. Absolute pure honesty. Um, but, but pure honesty without agenda. So sometimes people can say, well, I'm going to say exactly what I think and I'm going to let them know what I think of them. No, we're just really objectively honest. We're really good for businesses. We're, we're really good in relationships, I think. And any autistic woman listening, if you feel like you're bad at relationships, you were doing it great. It was yeah. the other side. <laughs> um, with that, with that, yeah, open honesty. Um, I think we are extremely caring people. I think we sometimes display how we care in a different way. 
but that's fine and actually quite helpful. Um, I think maybe it's because I'm autistic as well, but there's a feeling I get when I'm with another autistic woman where it's almost as if I, I've, I've known them forever, um, even if I've just met them. It's kind of I, I know the pattern your life has had, good and bad. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a bit like wearing high heels and putting your rug boots on and you don't have to explain what you've just said constantly and, and that's kind of how I know other people are autistic because I can gauge am I masking, am I unmasking, am I stimming, am I holding in my stims, am I uh, able to speak freely without judgement or am I holding back and that's yeah. it's lovely, it's a lovely feeling. <laughs> it's so freeing isn't it? That I was just talking earlier to someone and saying how one of the best things that ever happened to me was I got kicked out of school. Yeah. School I was in and sent to a school that was just for kids who'd been kicked out of their schools. Yeah. And I didn't have a diagnosis at the time. I think only one person in the school had a diagnosis, but obviously we've all gone on to get diagnoses. Oh really? Yeah. Oh how interesting. So it was like being in a you know, rooms full of neurodivergent kids mm. suddenly after not being for the first fifteen years and it was so freeing. To suddenly feel like I could be myself yeah. and be recognised for it and understood yeah. for it. So yeah, I think there's there's real magic in peers and seeing each other. I think it's really important. That must have been really, really interesting, not only personally, but also kind of academically, because I think a, a trick we're missing is we're constantly looking at, you know, the the schools with the best attendance or the schools which is not going to have many autistic people in it, I can say um, or 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 the the highest grades which means no one's ever burnt out enough to be able to actually get to the exam hall and that a lot of our unique talents are in the schools where the kids can cope because that's where you've got to get your neurodivergent kids, that's where you've got to get your autistic kids, that's where you've got to get somebody whose special interest turns into an expertise, which turns into in some, well, we've seen it with um, autistic peers and friends, haven't we? You know, they end up doing research papers that will change the world and, or, or are so interested in, I don't know, insects, insects or wildlife that they end up doing that as a career, all of these kind of things. And you just think, we're missing a trick, aren't we? That's because it. it's seen as the school you don't want to go to. Yeah, exactly. Whereas actually, that's where the talent's going to be. How was your school experience, actually? Oh, well, I got thrown out. Uh, I got thrown out of a couple of schools, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm quite proud of it now. Now when I talk to other horses, people think, oh, I went to a few schools. Yeah. So uh, my, my mother, bless her, who's very diplomatic. My mother's so diplomatic that she said to me that I should never sing in public. Um, and I said, why? And, uh, and she said, because my singing voice is so special that if I do it in public, someone will copy it. And oh. it's very unique and special. Um, and I believed this until probably about a year ago, actually. I thought, I've just, <laughs> I was 13 when she said, so that's how diplomatic my mother is. AKA, Carly, you cannot sing, do not sing. People will mock you and life's hard enough because you wear massive glasses. So, um, so yes, that's how diplomatic, how diplomatic my mother was. So when, you know, now I'm talking about, oh yeah, I went to all these different schools and she said, yes, they were fighting over her. They're like, oh no, we want her. Oh no, you should have her for a bit. It's called being expelled, mother. I was 15 and pregnant when I got thrown out the last one. We can't make this about the ban from prom. But yeah, she goes, yeah, they were just, it's very much um, 
Frank Spencer. <laughs> Some others do have them. Yeah, they were fighting over you, weren't they? Look. <laughs> <laughs> no, they all hated me. <laughs> so that was my school experience. Yeah. I can't really remember much of it because the ones when I was there, I kind of wasn't there because I just could not cope with it yeah. um, socially, academically. So was it oh, like the whole way through? Was primary school comfortable? <laughs> it's something you laugh. So uh, primary school was okay because my poor mother had learnt at preschool age, nursery age, kind of five and under, that I would not leave her side. So she got a job at the preschool. So then when I started primary school, my mum was getting like a trained accountant. She had a really good job. So she then became a classroom assistant at at how did they not know? Um, at primary school. So I would go, which was very embarrassing for her because a boy teased me and I've got a really strong sense of justice. So I super glued him to his chair. I was a bit of a mink. I was very polite and well-mannered until someone upset me and he called me four eyes, so I super glued him to his chair and he had to remove, yeah, maybe a school uniform in the classroom because he was super glued to the chair. So, so I got in trouble and actually that was scary because instead of going to the head teacher you have to get, you get sent to your mum. That's, that's terrifying. Yeah, that's, that was much scarier. So that, apart from that, primary school was okay because you're in the same room, aren't you? And the, if there is a change of teacher, they come to you. And you're normally at the same table with the same tray and the same and then you go to secondary school first of all mum wouldn't come to secondary school how rude <laughs> how dare she have a life after 13 years um i've forgiven her now um but but you have to find your teacher i mean i get lost in my own house and i live in a flat yeah so you have to you have to find find the classroom different teacher different subject matter and you just, I don't know about other people, but once I get into a subject, that's my subject for a week or at least a day. Because otherwise, what's the point of just doing this for 45 minutes or whatever? Yeah. Um, and then you do maths, then you're doing science, then you're doing this. And it's just like, what? Well, I've got to find the room, then I've got to think, get my maths head on. Um, I just think we should have Monday maths, Tuesday English, Wednesday, and then you've just got to find one classroom. Anyway, basically cross. So, so, uh, so secondary school was an absolute disaster, to say yeah. the least. Loads of masking. Um, kind of went with the kid with my hand up, answering all the questions. Realised very quickly that's not cool. People are going to throw rocks at you. Um, so then became a bit of a, of a rebel. And I found the lights in our classroom excruciating. And, uh, and I, I figured out if I was naughty, then I'd get thrown out. Yes. So I was like, okay, I'll just be naughty then, or yeah. say something, or make a silly joke, and the teacher would be, get out, great. That's all I wanted to do was get out of that room because those lights really hurt. Yeah. Um, so, and then we're seen as challenging behaviour. Yeah. Challenging environment, so it's That's not so challenging behaviour. Yeah. yeah, it's just distress, you know, mm. and, and a reasonable reaction to the environment, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, because I, I would have been very similar, and the options that I was given was either, you know, I acted up and I would go and you know, sit on my own and read my book. Yeah. I still want someone, I mean, someone to do that hair. <laughs> or I'd be sent home and, you, you know, a week off. Yeah. To not have to be in that environment. So, it's like, it sets you up to, to act up, I think, in yeah. a way. Because uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I guess for, for non-autistic families, it might be, well, um, actually, you haven't paid this week, therefore, you're not going to your party at the weekend. Brilliant. <laughs> I just wanted to stay at home. You know, so yeah. um so it's almost if that 
that kind of if you're naughty you get thrown out of the classroom you have to go and sit and read your favorite book that would be a bit like okay guys anyone that's being naughty you're all going to go to thought park <laughs> okay so be as naughty as you can if you're as naughty, if you're naughty you get to go to thought park okay well we'll all play up then yeah. so it's no one's thinking autistically no <laughs> so then you left school this is like this is your life <laughs> <laughs> you left school and did you have a a plan i know you were a new mom so it's like yeah. your sort of main focus yeah so um after being ejected from the from the last school i i was homeless i lived in a, a mother and baby hostel with my daughter until i was 18 and um and i was doing an apprenticeship um, at a legal company and i was um so because having no gcse's i said you could do this mvq and it would be a level equivalent so i didn't need to worry about those gcse's and i thought great we'll get that done and um so i, I went to do that in a, in a legal office and i was trusted with washing up and shredding um and they invited me to some meetings to you know how to dress smart and make notes and make people tea you know um but when I was in the shredding room, which I loved, by the way, because it was a little room on my own without having to hear people talk all day. Um, so I was given the contracts which had um, mistakes in it. So they had mistakes in the contracts because it wouldn't be legally watertight. And I think they just thought, oh, we're a stupid team mum and she'll shred them. I've read them first, but because I'm such a black and a white thinker, I could think, well, this is if you, where there's a grey area, ambiguity, that's where the loophole is. So, uh, so I could spot loopholes like, um, have you ever seen the Da Vinci Code and all like that? <laughs> all the kind of writing comes out of him. And I thought, well, how can I spot legal loopholes? That's interesting. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And then um, after that was done, um, I, I, I didn't go into to legal law route. Um, but now as an advocate and, and with policies and, and looking at laws and legislation, um, that's very, very helpful. Yeah. Because I just go, there is, there's a loophole, there is. It's, um, so I'm really glad I, I had that opportunity, even though it was a, feels like a different lifetime ago. It has come in handy as I've got older and worked into advocacy. And how did you get into advocacy? Oh, gosh. I got into advocacy because I, um, one of, I took one of my daughters into school and the head teacher asked to speak to me. And they, they were diagnosed, they were diagnosed really young actually, two and six. And the waiting list then was 12 weeks. When I tell people that, they hit me. Yeah, different times. I think it was 2007, I think, something like that. Yeah. So um, the, the doctors were actually great. And they were very excited to see two girls. And now it makes sense why. Um, but the, um, the, the school staff, not so much. And the head teacher said to me... Um, how, how come you've got two autistic daughters? Autism only happens to boys, so how come you've got two that are girls? So I went to my car and cried for 45 minutes. And then I thought, well, I can't sit in the car crying for 45 minutes. Um, also, I'd like to go have a cup of tea. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll start doing some awareness. So I thought I'll raise awareness be on social media or did some uh, local fundraisers and then um, somehow ended up at the United Nations. It just all <laughs> It all just kind of, yeah, somehow. Just, uh, a minute you're shaking a tin and the next minute you're up there thinking, I don't know how I got here. This is the, the, the weirdest, surrealest thing ever. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, I thought I'll campaign for a year. And that was 
15 years ago. So I think it's special interest now. Yeah. Or slash job slash wow. interest slash need to pay the mortgage slash <laughs> genuinely love it yeah. slash can't give up because I'm addicted and it's my routine. And you're also incredibly good at it. Though. Oh, thank you. But you really are. And I think you can you can communicate things in a way that is, as we said, with, with the, the humour that you can bring to stuff. I think it's... Because it can be tricky topics. And I think people go into things sort of holding their breath and going, oh, yeah. God, this is going to be difficult. I'm going to have to learn stuff and I should know stuff. And, you know, it's going to be hard to hear. But if you can bring that lightness to it and your just your personality to it I think it, it makes it approachable and it makes a huge difference I think it's I, I like to have a, a giggle and I've always wondered why maybe it's a coping mechanism but I saw this great quote online and it said um, trauma plus comedy no no I've got it wrong trauma plus time equals comedy yes so even the worst most horrendous things with time, we can, even if the event is horrendous, something around that, we can go, oh God, you know, and, and kind of have a giggle yeah. to ourselves. Or even if it's awful, there's always a moment around that or something that we can, but it takes time. Yeah. So I think I'm just very fortunate I'm old, essentially, because <laughs> if I'd done it young, like even 10, 20 years ago, I'd probably be crying. We're just, just really old now, so everything's hilarious. Just... <laughs> Turning up through one of those um, old women in my chair, thinking with a horrible sense of humour. So <laughs> no talent there, just ageing. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you want to know more about Middletown, you can find us on Twitter at Autism Centre or on Facebook or Instagram at Middletown Centre for Autism.